0: Take your Bible if you would and join me today in Romans chapter number one. Romans chapter one. I would be fairly certain that this would be the case with many people in this auditorium and of course many that are watching. Have you ever had a surgery that, that prior to the surgery you felt absolutely fine? In other words, you, you had no felt issues, although you certainly must have had some known issues to have the surgery, but, but prior to the surgery, you, you had no felt issues, you felt fine. And then you had the surgery, you went what sometimes we refer to as under the knife. And so because of the surgery and, and what was necessary, I mean, after the surgery, you felt lousy, you felt terrible. But but the necessary hurt was there because there was some problem, some issue that had to be resolved. And so the surgery was performed and then the the hurt, pain, the, 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 the time of recovery. But with the hope of something better following. There is something about certain passages of scripture that become almost like that surgeon's knife that goes in and has to address a problem and and maybe we say I felt fine before the surgery and and sometimes we don't even want to hear the news that the surgery is necessary I came across an old song it was released back in 1956 and I don't know much about the person who sang it her name was Jean Shepard In the words of the song, it's an old love song, and it goes as follows. Darling, please don't make me wonder. Give my heart no cause to fear. Say you know our love's eternal. Tell me what I want to hear. Say you feel the same old magic that I feel when you are near. Whisper love words. Sing me love songs. Tell me what I want to hear. In the New Testament, the Bible describes people having itching ears. It means they were, they were desirous to hear something, but certainly not everything. But God in His goodness, because He is a loving, holy God, He doesn't tell us only what we want to hear. He tells us because He is good, also what we need to hear. In his commentary Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote there are some sermons that a true minister of the gospel loves to preach there are other sermons which it hurts to preach I wish that I did not have to include the present chapter speaking of Romans 1 but when one sets out to be an expositor of the word of God And Barnhouse said, takes every verse, every line, every phrase, every word, just as they come. There are moments when the terrible things of God arrive in the narrative, and they must be treated. With that, your Bibles are open to Romans chapter 1. We have been looking at what we've called the dark backdrop of sin. And and last week, we addressed the matter of sin revealed. Today, as we continue to look at that black, dark backdrop of sin, we also go now to see that not only is sin revealed, but sin is rewarded. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 22. For context, we're going to read from verse 22 through to the end of the chapter. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts To dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever amen for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and likewise also the men Leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one to another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them. The title again of the message today is Sin Rewarded. If I was to give this message a subtitle I would call it when God gives you what you think you wanted so with that what is sin rewarded in other words how does God begin to reward that which we have held onto with tenacity the first thing that I notice in this passage is found again in verse number 22. Look at the verse and notice this first reward of sin. That is what we'll call intellectual blindness. Intellectual blindness. Romans 1, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Have you ever thought about the arrogance associated with this passage of Scripture? This this self-declaration of their own wisdom, professing themselves. That's just not a, I think I am wise. They've actually made a profession of the same. I mean, sometimes we use the, the simple expression, who does that? A person who now is being rewarded by their own sin They've come to the place where they say, I will offer myself as this beacon of wisdom. Who is wise? Well, of course, it's me. The fool, the Bible says in Psalm chapter 53, verse number one, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Richard Dawkins is a self-proclaimed spokesperson for those who would claim that there is no God. Dawkins, who vehemently opposes God, is not afraid to say it. He said, quote, it is absolutely safe to say that if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked, but I'd rather not consider that. He also said the fact that life evolved out of nearly nothing, some 10 billion years after the universe evolved, out of literally nothing is a fact so staggering that I would be mad to attempt words to do it justice. I think that there is some truth to the mad regarding finding words to do it justice because the Bible has already beautifully summarized for us how it is that origins took place and it doesn't take a lot of words. I'm not trying to be cavalier about this but I am trying to say that in the beginning God created. And when you deny that established beginning of God's revelation to mankind, then you have left yourself up to declare there is no God, and that is a statement that the fool has made in his heart. The word word fear in Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. That word fear, it does mean terror, but it also has the idea of reverence, acknowledgement, respect. Where does true wisdom begin? With an understanding that there is a God, and someday we will all stand before him. There is some sense of true wisdom beginning when I fear the one to whom I will one day give account. This is where true wisdom begins, the fear of the Lord. The greater the the thing that that is to be feared has power, the greater the fear should be. Uh, Something that, that has little consequence, we fear little, oh it's no big deal something that has greater consequence, greater implication for our lives, the fear ought also incrementally increase. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, we had a tabletop video game. It was a Pac-Man video game. So you sat and the tabletop was there. You looked down on it and you'd control the, 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 the joystick and, and play the game. And we had it in our youth room. It was given to us and, and you could add credits to it, but I'd have to, to lift the lid up on its hinges, reach in and toggle a little switch to add credits so the teens wouldn't have to pay for the game. So I would lift it up and toggle the switch. And, and one time, I mean, I just did it so quickly, I did it all the time, I reached in and I started, I, I was touching the wrong wire. Um, I was playing then a new game at that moment. And uh, I, was, um, I was excited by the game. I, I touched some live wire and it lit me up. Well, you know, I still, I still added credits in the future, but I did so with new respect. I didn't like, oh, whatever, you know, it was fun last time. I didn't do that, okay. Because now I understand there is a consequence for carelessness. Do you know that the greater the power, the greater we stand back with some sense of awe reverence fear what happens when we lose respect for something like a gun or an automobile or we lose respect for the institution of marriage or honesty the more powerful the person or the object or the institution the more potential damage we can do to ourselves When we rid ourselves of God, we proclaim we have now truly found wisdom. And upon that profession, we have actually shown ourselves to be fools. The word fools used in the Greek text that that we are looking at currently. The word fool here is moreno, from which we get the word moronic. In their classical lexicon, Little and Scott define the word as to be silly, foolish, drivel, play the fool to be stupefied to become insipid maybe you you have read some articles about this person but when we proclaim ourselves liberated and finally wise we demonstrate ourselves to be playing the fool her name is Jody Rose she takes pride in this so I will mention it with this, with the same arrogance that I believe so often these things are trumpeted There are numerous articles, pictures that show the same. A beaming Jody Rose donned a wedding dress as she tied the knot with her, quote, handsome, strong, and sturdy partner, watched by more than a dozen guests. Jody Rose's wedding video is just like any wedding video, except she is quite literally standing on the groom. Jody married a bridge. It felt beautiful, she recalls. It felt really, really exciting. I was really quite nervous. I felt like a bride. I got to have my princess wedding day. Ms. Rose married Le Pont du Diable Bridge, which by the way means the Devil's Bridge in Sorette, France. She even went as far as to have a huge wedding ring made for the bridge, which remains today in place. Ms. Rose, who wears her own wedding ring, said, he gives me a safe haven brings me back to ground myself and then lets me go again to follow my own path without trying to keep me tied down or enthralled to his needs or desires. I am devoted to him. I also read two other articles of ladies, one who married, I'm not kidding, one who married a chandelier. I just thought I'm sure he lit up when she entered the room. Sorry about that. And another lady, and there are there are pictures to demonstrate the same. Not, see, they're not trying to be foolish, but, but they, they post pictures. Another ma- lady who married a rug, I heard she named him Matt. Again, I'm very sorry. for I heard it didn't work though. She walked all over him. Okay, I'm all, I'm all done with. In our culture today, you are not allowed to tell a person that they can't truly marry a bridge or chandelier, or a rug for that matter. You can get married on a bridge, you can cross a bridge to get married, but you can't remove the D from the word bridge to make bride. And clearly there is no groom to be found there. How does the Bible say that foolish activity is displayed? The Bible says they exchange the glory and beauty and splendor of God the creator of all things and they replaced him. The Bible says they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. And then we notice further in verse number 25 who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The human race has traded God for the glory of man and man-made idols. If you would hold your place in Romans chapter 1 and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter number 44. While we don't have time to look at the entire chapter it is a fitting chapter to read in correspondence with our passage of scripture that's before us today. Isaiah chapter 44 beginning in verse number two. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb which will help thee. Look down at verse number six. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Look down at verse number nine. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity. That word means empty. And their delectable things shall not profit, and they are their own witness. They see not, nor know that they may be ashamed. Look down. Beginning at verse number 13, the carpenter stretcheth out his rule, he maketh it out with a line, he fitteth it with planes, and he marketh it out with a compass, and maketh it after the figure of a man, according to the beauty of man, that he may remain in the house. He heweth him down cedars, taketh the cypress and the oak, which he strengtheneth for himself among the trees of the forest. He planteth an ash, and the rain doth nourish it. Then shall it be for a man to burn? For he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it, and baketh bread. Yea, he maketh a god, and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image, and falleth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire. With part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast, and is satisfied... Yea, he warmeth himself and saith, aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue, the leftovers, thereof he maketh a god, even his graven image, he falleth down unto it, and worshipeth it, and prayeth unto it, and saith, deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for, for he hath shut their eyes, that they cannot see, and their hearts that they cannot understand and none considereth in his heart. Neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned part of it in the fire. Yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasteth flesh and eaten it. And shall I make the residue, the leftover, that which I discarded thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree?" He feedeth on the ashes a deceived heart hath turned him aside that he cannot deliver his soul nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand who makes the truth of God into a lie? What is the first reward of this departure from God? What is the reward of my sin? The first reward is intellectual blindness but it doesn't end there the second thing that we see regarding this reward of sin is found in verse number 24 and that is moral uncleanness moral uncleanness verse 24 wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves What began as spiritual escapism. I I want to escape accountability to any God. I am a God unto myself. In fact, I can make my own gods. What began as spiritual escapism moves to sensual enslavement. The word lust here is the Greek word epithumia. Aristotle defined epithumia as a reaching after Reaching out after pleasure. The Stoics defined it as a reaching after pleasure which defies all reason. The early Christian theologian, Clement of Alexandria, called it an unreasonable reaching for that which will gratify itself. Epithumia is the passionate desire for forbidden pleasure. Notice we see the first use of this this phrase, God also gave them up what weighty words God also gave them up it's always intended to communicate delivering yourself or someone else up at times in history that word would have been used if someone was in debt then then they could become and and this idea of epithumeia like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna now I'm going to be given over to something specifically when we're talking about this God gave them up because of their desire there's this sense of the tormentors that come and and now you have pursued something and I'm going to give you exactly what you want when we come to that word let me mention just briefly when we come to that phrase and God gave them up It's used three times in this passage. God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them over. At times we ask ourselves the question, what what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says. That God gave them up to a reprobate mind. You say, is there any return for that person? Well, I'd answer that in two ways. First of all, what is known to God is not known to me. Secondly, I would say never treat a person as if you have knowledge that is reserved only for God. Never treat a person as though you have knowledge reserved only for God. At times we come to a place where we say, well, well, that person you've been given over. You you are not God, nor am I. So to whom is the gospel effective? It's effective, It's, it's, it's effectual, it reaches people that are in the depths of depravity. So, well, d- does that mean that they have a way back? That's known to God. You say, "Well, well, w- what if they're committing some certain sin?" The Bible is clear all throughout, "And such were some of you, but you are washed." What he's saying throughout scripture is live like who you are. There are people who have been, I believe, given over to do those things that the Bible says don't make sense they are not convenient. What does God know? He knows what you and I do not. So don't treat a person as if you have knowledge reserved only for God. N- notice the, the, again, have you ever gotten to the place where you've asked for something and you found out that what you asked for is not what you wanted? Only God offers that which will truly satisfy. He says it in Psalm chapter 81, beginning in verse number 10. I am the Lord God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. In other words, I have what you need to be truly satisfied. He goes on, but he says in verse 11, but my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lusts. And they walked in their own councils. When mankind says that he will have nothing to do with God, God will grant them their desire. We say leave us alone and frighteningly God does. Then we begin to receive the consequence of our own decisions. We are in many literal ways sleeping in the bed of our own making. God gave to mankind a will and God does respect that will what is it that specifically God is now allowing mankind to do to dishonor their own bodies between themselves the the word to dishonor it means to do shameful abusive things with their bodies remember our bodies belong to God they, they do so in, in two ways. First of all, they belong to him as our maker, our creator. So he owns us in that regard. But then there is a second giving of ourselves to him with our bodies when a person comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul says that he asks somewhat of a rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, what? Didn't you know, know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit and in your bodies which are God's which belong to him. Attempting to alter something that God has pre-designed regarding your body is a means by which we dishonor our bodies even among ourselves. Attempting to alter our gender that God assigned at my birth is inconsistent with my creator's design. To disfigure it, to intentionally harm it, or in any way abuse it is a shameful use of that which God has given and which rightfully belongs to him. And no matter how we may quote, identify ourselves today as it pertains to gender, God is the one who established only two genders and that was clarified upon our birth. Might I add we'll discuss this later and and at a further uh, a more in-depth way but suffice it to say today that God assigned gender and he revealed to us what those two are male and female created he them and he created us in his likeness bearing his image no matter how we might argue this truth remains true for all people all places and all times It was years ago that President Abraham Lincoln was in an extended argument, so to speak, with a man who, who sought to debate Lincoln at every turn. Lincoln said to this man, well, let's see, how many legs does a cow have? Four, of course, came the reply with some disgusting twinge to it. That's right, agreed Lincoln. Now suppose you call the cow's tail a leg. How many legs would the cow have? Why five, of course, was the confident reply. To which Lincoln said, now that's where you're wrong. Calling a cow's tail a leg does not make it a leg, which is obviously true. We have called many things something, but simply calling it something does not make it so. Calling something evil good does not change the fact that it is innately evil. Neither does calling a man a woman make it so or vice versa. But such is our day. So let's look at where this moral uncleanness leads us. We see intellectual blindness, moral uncleanness which leads to, and pardon the directness of this but this is where it leads. Intellectual blindness, moral uncleanness sexual wickedness your Bibles are open to Romans chapter 1 let's begin reading in verse 26 for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet or which is appropriate. What became sensual enslavement moves to sexual exploration. We might note that idolatry is the ultimate expression of man's spiritual degeneracy. In other words, I am going to reject the true God and I'm going to create my own God. Whether that becomes man as the central figure of his worship or some object that man has created, we now have replaced God that's the ultimate expression of spiritual degeneracy. Now forsaking the natural use of our bodies reserved for marriage takes us to the ultimate expression of man's sexual wickedness. One pastor said, when man forsakes the author of nature, he inevitably forsakes the order of nature. In no way shape or form to intend to be unkind with those who disagree, with what the scriptures take pains to condemn as wrong but we simply cannot call what God calls evil good in fact in the rebellion of mankind I find it at least worth noting that a whole culture that as we are about to read in the next verse did not like to retain God in their knowledge there are those that that label today the embracing of their sin with the word pride And then we have taken a symbol that was intended by God to be a dynamic symbol that God would never again destroy the entire earth because of man's sin, the the picture of the rainbow. And we've taken the rainbow and we've, we've called our parades pride and we've taken a rainbow, this picture of God's mercy and made it a symbol of man's rebellion. So where does sexual wickedness lead? We see intellectual blindness, moral uncleanness, sexual wickedness, which brings us to sinful recklessness. Sinful recklessness. There is no more center of gravity. There is nothing then around which mankind and cultures and societies rotate. Everything has become literally unhinged from truth. Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse number 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Don't brush past this disobedient to parents. Without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What began as spiritual escapism went to sensual enslavement, then to sexual exploration, and finally to what we see as societal explosion. When any society embraces that which we universally understand as sin, and not only embraces it, but goes on and applauds it, and affirms any who do the same, that society cannot long endure. Mankind intrinsically understands that things like greed, and hatred, and unprovoked violence, and breaking your word, or contract, or being unmerciful, are not those things that we value. Yet these become the very characteristics that define societies and cultures. In our day, no matter what a person does, our culture feels the obligation to affirm every choice. Not only acknowledging someone's personal choice, but affirming any and every choice as good. And why not demand affirmation of any and all choices when we have become our own gods? When I was a kid we had a garden planted behind an old detached garage. So there was a, an old garage and, and behind it, we had a garden that my parents planted. And it had things like, um, like green peppers and lots of green beans and some lettuce and, and other things that, that dad and mom were growing in our little patch behind the garage. And the thing that we hated about that, we, I loved eating the food from it, but man, when my mom would say, all right, kids, we're heading to the garden, well, that meant that we had to tend the garden. More specifically, we had to weed the garden, because gardens take continual care. In a garden that is not continually cared for, tended to, something removed from it that you don't intend to grow— Gardens left to themselves are actually overtaken by that that no one finds good in. And that which we intended for good is actually consumed by that which we find no benefit from. As a cultural garden today, we have seen the weeds grow up in such a way that it is choking out the very thing that provides life. And might I add, our day is no worse than Paul's. The same God that was providing answers for Rome has provided them for us as well. Sometimes we get lost in the list of God gave them up, gave them over. God's left them alone. Sometimes we get so distracted with the sins mentioned that God says, now I've left you alone that we feel like, well, well, clearly if a person has ever had some wrong desire listed here, that, that person can never again come to know Christ. I strongly reject that thinking. I believe that there is no desire that is beyond the reach of the gospel. I believe that all of us were bent with something broken. All of us have a desire factory that produces those things that are inconsistent with the holy, just characteristics of Almighty God. We have a broken desire factory. Be careful how you take any desire and say, well, clearly that person can never be saved. Is it even possible for a blood-bought believer to have desires inconsistent with who he is? And I do believe that that is absolutely true all throughout scripture and such were some of you. But I also believe that for a truly born again believer to continually pursue and attempt to justify wrong pursuits is absolutely not found in scripture. A person who now with such boldness declares, I can live this lifestyle and it be approved of God when God has very clearly said that has no place in the life of my child. That person who seeks to, to say, listen, you have to affirm this and you have to approve this because I do. I believe that person should do what the Bible tells all of us to do. And that is examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. You say, "Well, where does that leave us today? When we see this progression, intellectual blindness, moral uncleanness, sexual wickedness, sinful recklessness, what am I supposed to do today? begin by acknowledging God I I, I don't know obviously the the makeup of every person here but to deny God his rightful supreme place is to begin a journey whose consequences are those that you and I do not want what happens when God gives us what we want things that we don't truly desire where do we begin? We begin by acknowledging God. God, I'm not going to explain you away with, with, with pseudoscience. I'm not going to explain you away with theories. I'm going to acknowledge you. We begin there. And then where, we, where do we go? Recognize his right to define right and wrong. Do you or do I become the sole possessors of that which is true and that which is false? Or if there is something truly true, something that's true for all people and all places and all times, don't we recognize that has to come from a source beyond me? It has to come from a higher source. I acknowledge God. What do I do then? I recognize his right to define right and wrong. No matter what my desires might tell me, God, I I bring my desires as subservient to you. What do we do? We begin by acknowledging God. We recognize his right to define right and wrong. We are prepared to call sin, sin. Not to rename it. Not to, not to repackage it. Not to dress it up in something that it truly is not. But to call sin what God calls it. And that is an affront to his holiness. What do we do? We begin by acknowledging God. We recognize his right to define right and wrong. We are prepared to call sin, sin. We realize that loving sinners is not affirming their sin. We realize that I can love sinners, and at the same time, I can love a sinner without affirming their sin, and sometimes we struggle to do that. We associate the sin clearly with the sinner, and so because we hate sin, we therefore have hated the sinner. For God so loved the world, Christ died for sinners where do we come when we start to understand God I know you exist I know you get to define right and wrong God I'm prepared to call sin sin but God as I call sin what it is I have to separate the sin from the person who is actually an image bearer created in your likeness and so we continue to love sinners while not affirming their sin And to to follow on the tale of that, we separate our hatred for sin from the sinner. The hymn writer wrote some years ago, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep or the erring ones, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save, down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving hand, wakened with kindness. Chords that were broken will vibrate once more. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for thy labors. The Lord will provide back to the narrow way. Patiently win them. Tell them of Jesus, the Savior who died. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save.